Well, amen. Well, uh, so glad to have you online. We're so glad you are here. Happy Easter. Everybody that has joined us here, we're so glad that you are with us. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, thank you, Pastor Steve, for uh, reading Revelation 5. What uh, a great reminder. The lamb that was slain, he was slaughtered. He died, but then you see him standing. That's why he's worthy. He is alive, and we can celebrate that uh, today. Well, thank you so much for being here. I um, got a question for you as we begin. If you're online, uh, maybe you could just make a... Uh, a post here as well. But if you're in the building here, here's my question. How many of you are originally from Virginia? You were born and raised in Virginia. How many of you? All right. I'm actually surprised. That's like uh, over 50% in here. I'm not sure uh, about those that are watching on YouTube uh, in this service, but that's a lot of people. We live in a very transient area, don't we? We live in an area where uh, a lot of military and government and uh, diplomats, people from all over. I grew up in Northern Virginia and uh, I moved a little bit further south uh, into Lorton and eventually down here to uh, Fredericksburg. But I've always lived in Virginia and so often we don't meet people that are originally from Virginia. And uh, you know, what's the logo of Virginia? Virginia is for Lovers, all right, and I think it's a great place. What a beautiful place, and uh, the reality, since I haven't been in the military, I've, uh, uh, tend to, I haven't traveled that much. I haven't seen a whole lot of the world. The, the few places I have seen in our country, what a beautiful country and, and uh, some beautiful places in the world, but you know, this is a beautiful place. Let's just think about the seasons uh, that we have. We have a summer that is beautiful weather, and it's uh, something we're able to uh, enjoy and get outside and spend time uh, with family and doing some things in the, the hotter weather. And then comes the fall, a lot of family events, and going up to the mountains to pick apples or uh, whatever your family enjoys dur doing during uh, that season. Then we have the winter months that come upon us as well, and we're able to enjoy a little bit of, of uh, snow, but you know it kind of comes and goes around here, right? It's just kind of temporary, so we get to enjoy it for a few days, and then Thank God that it's gone. And then after the winter months come the beautiful spring where the flowers start popping up out of the ground. The trees and the bushes start coming forth. The pollen also comes uh, along with that in our area. But it's just a beautiful season. I love when the robins start coming out again. And it just reminds me that the cycle of life and the, the uh, seasons that God brings our way, you may face some dark seasons some wintry months, some cold, dark days in your life. But have hope because spring is coming. New life is here. God wants to resurrect those dreams, those desires. He wants to give you new life, right? That's what Easter, the resurrection is about, to remind us of the hope that God gives to us. We don't have to remain in regret or discouragement, guilt, hopelessness. We don't have to remain in the past, but we can press ahead and move ahead. Now, winter is not all bad. A lot of good things actually happen during the winter months. 
Um, when the plants start dying back on the physical part of the plant that we see, or you, the leaves fall off, there's something that still happens, right? Those roots begin to dig deeper. They are still moving. They are still active. And they dig deeper into the ground. So when the dry periods of life come, there's some stability. There's still some nutrients. There's still something that provides that moisture. That time of rest during the winter provides unseen changes that we may not be able to uh, understand we look at a tree or a bush, but life is still happening during those times, those difficult events of life that grow us and mature us. They guide us. They move us to where we need to go. They even uh, gift us with the ability to minister to other people. You know, if you don't face those hardships of life, you don't know how to show compassion or grace or how to provide wisdom and guidance in people's life. That's what happened on Good Friday. The darkness of that night when Jesus died for our sins. When Jesus came to this world as a sinless one, God in the flesh, and then he said, no man takes my life, but I offer it up freely. And Jesus died between two thieves. His disciples forsook him. People thought that this was the end of Jesus. The pain and the rejection and the suffering, the worst of humanity was seen on that day. The dark night of the cross, the, the wintry season of Jesus' sacrifice. But it was all part of God's divine plan. God wanted to give you and I eternal life. He wanted to move the hopelessness of that moment, the despair of those next three days, the certainty of death that Jesus was facing was going to change into a new season. Up from the grave, he arose. Jesus came forth. That watershed moment of history that we celebrate today as the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. 1 Corinthians 15 calls this event the good news. Now, when I think of news, if you are my age or older, maybe you remember a show called Hee Haw. And if you haven't been around here, my theological depth is about the level of Hee Haw, so just so you kind of know that. But it, how many have ever seen Hee Haw or heard of Hee Haw? All right, so I went back, and, and uh, Archie Campbell and Roy Clark used to have a barbershop scene, and uh, Archie's cutting Roy's hair, and he tells him something, and Roy says, that's good news. Do you remember that? It's silly. Uh, one of my kids said, yeah, I watched a Hee Haw episode. I didn't realize it was just about dumb blondes and stupidity. I said, yeah, that was the level of, of Hee Haw pretty much. But uh, uh, So Roy Clark said, that's good news. And then Archie said, no, that's bad news. You remember that? It went back and forth. He said something, oh, that's good news. No, that's bad news. Well, why? It went back and forth. That's good news and that's bad news. Well, when I think of the resurrection story, it is good news. Maybe you think of the Geico commercial. There's great um, insurance commercials on today, right? I mean, uh, I saw one scoop. There it is. Have you heard that one the other day? That was a pretty good one. My wife loves that one. But good, good uh, insurance commercials on. But when we think of Geico, what's the good news? I say 15% on car insurance, right? And when you think of the news, if you watch Fox News or CNN or NBC or NPR, you get your news from Facebook, wherever you get it, you don't think of the news as good, right? 
There's a saying in the news world, what bleeds, leads. And so if it's negative, they want to talk about it. When you turn the news on, not very often are there good news stories. Most of what we hear is the bad news. I mean, if you want to get depressed, just first thing in the morning, turn on the TV and find out what happened the past day, right? See who's arguing, see what's going on, uh, whether it be uh, within our country or internationally. There's a lot of bad news, but the Bible is very different. The Bible says it's a message of good news. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at the first verse here. Paul is writing to the believers at Corinth. And he says, moreover, brethren, so he's talking to people that uh, believe in Jesus Christ, I declare to you the gospel. Now that's an interesting word. The word gospel is our word evangelize or evangelical or evangelism. It even has the word angel right in the middle of that, a messenger. The good news, the message of the gospel. And Paul said, I want to give you the gospel. The word just simply means good news. God has good news for you and I today. We come on the first day of the week, this Sunday morning, and especially as we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, we have good news. The idea this word was used in Bible days, if a doctor gave you a report that nothing serious was going on, that was good news. That's what the gospel means. Or when a group of people went to battle, and they won the battle, they would have somebody run back to the king. And that person would run, and they would have a message and say, we won the battle. That was this word, the gospel. They had good news. They were bringing a positive message. They had something for the people that would encourage them. And that's what Paul is talking about here. The Bible is good news. We celebrate the greatest news of all today. Now let's look at what this message is. In verse three, he tells us, he gives us an explanation of what the gospel is. If we wanna know what the gospel means, verse three, he says, for I delivered to you first of all that which also I received. Now here's the first part. Christ died. Jesus died on the cross. Doesn't seem like good news at first, but he goes on. The first part of the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse four, and that he was buried. You see, Jesus didn't just swoon on the cross and just feel kind of sick and he just kind of passed out for a moment and they put him in a tomb and the coolness just woke him up. No, he actually died and he was buried. He was not breathing for three days. That's what was going on in the grave. He was buried. And the last part, the gospel has three parts, the death, the burial, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He rose again. Jesus came back to life. This message of the death, burial, and resurrection, that is the gospel. That is the good news that we can talk about today. 
the good news of the gospel is not some doctrine. It is not uh, some gathering that we kind of gather as a, uh, a social club to get together. No, that, it has nothing to do with any of us in this room. It is all about the resurrected Savior that Jesus came back to life after he died for us. He ascended up into heaven because he is still alive. That's the message of Christianity. That's the only reason we have hope today because Jesus in that darkness, in that wintry moment, in, in the greatest trial that this world ever faced, Jesus came back to life on the third day. The lamb that was slain was standing there. Now a couple thoughts that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 15. The first is simply this. The gospel is the most important truth. Look with me at verse one again. I wanna break some of these words down as we kind of look at the first four verses. He said, for I delivered first of all. All right, he's not talking about a time order here. He's talking about an order of prominence, priority. It's first in importance. Paul is saying here, the first thing that I want to share with you, the most important message that I have for you, here's what it is, the gospel. You know, Christians can have some differing ideas about the way we practice church, the way we do certain things. We can disagree. People in the world, we have different ideas on politics. As Americans, we uh, you know, are the United States, but we still have some differing ideas in this world. We can, we can have some different ideas, right? We do things different. You probably celebrate uh, Easter a little bit different in your family than the way somebody else does. And you know, we all can be unique. We all can be different. But there's one thing that has to be first, the priority. The number one issue that every one of us need to come to grips with is the the gospel. The Bible has a lot of truths. It tells us how we can have a better marriage, how we can have joy, how we can forgive, how we can handle our finances, how we can have a moral country. It talks about doctrine, our worldviews, what is right and what is wrong. But the greatest truth in the Bible, Paul says, the first thing that I want to give you, the most important issue that we can talk about, the one thing that you cannot disagree on and be a Christian is simply this, is that Jesus physically came back to life. That is the message of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. We can debate about many things, but that is not one of them. Jesus is alive. If Jesus is not alive, he's dead in a tomb. And Garrett kind of talked about this last week. Someone said he's either a liar or a lunatic. And if that's not the case, then he must be Lord. Jesus came back to life. He's no longer in the grave. Our Savior has risen. This is the most important truth. The first thing I want to give to you is the gospel. Now, the gospel's the most important truth of the Bible. Secondly, the gospel is the central truth of the Bible. Look again at verse three. We read this a moment ago, but I want to uh, notice something else. For I delivered to you first of all that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins. Notice the next phrase there. According to the scriptures. Verse four. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, the New Testament 
wasn't complete, wasn't put together in a, a book form at this point. So when the Bible talks about the scriptures, it's a reference to the Old Testament. Paul says something really interesting here. He says, the death, burial, and resurrection, all these things were taught according to the scriptures or the Old Testament. The whole purpose of the Old Testament was not to teach about history. It wasn't to teach about the Ten Commandments. It wasn't uh, to teach you know, about moral issues, but it was to teach us that one day someone was going to come, God in the flesh, and he was going to die, but he wasn't going to stay dead. That's according to the scriptures. That's what the prophecies of the Old Testament the foreknowledge that God had. He knew what was going to take place, so he shared these things in the Old Testament. And he gives us pictures and illustrations through the, the uh, lambs and the animals, the turtle doves that were killed and they were sacrificed, these innocent animals, and the blood was shed for temporary forgiveness of sins. And Jesus said, all those are about me. And Paul says, that's what the Old Testament was about. You see, the gospel is the central truth of the scriptures. That's why God gave us the Old Testament to tell us that Jesus was going to come one day. God revealed his plan a little by little. You know, if you read through the Old Testament without understanding the New Testament, you couldn't pick up on something. You knew there was something that was coming, but you couldn't quite put it together. The prophets didn't quite understand it. They saw uh, about a king that was going to come to reign, but they also saw about one that was going to be suffering and dying, and they couldn't quite put it together until Jesus came and they understood he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus is what the Old Testament is about. Now we can go back now and read the Old Testament. We say, oh, now I see Jesus. I see how Jesus was prophesied, how God predicted, how all these events were leading up to Jesus to come. You see, first of all, the Bible declares that the resurrection is true according to the scriptures. The Bible says that Jesus not only died and he was buried, but he came back to life. But let me just pause for a second because today we live in a society where many people don't believe the Bible. They say, I, I don't know, it's just a book of fiction, it's just a book of unscientific uh, situation, just a bunch of relig religious fanaticism or whatever many would believe today. Maybe you've gone uh, to college and you had a professor to tell you the Bible's not true and try to show you things in the Bible that seem to be apparent contradictions. Maybe you've watched things on TV or you know, you've searched through the internet and said, I, I don't know if I can trust the Bible. Well, I believe the Bible is true, but whether you do or not, here... I want you to see something. The Bible not only declares the resurrection, also experience proves the resurrection. Here's what I want you to see. Look at, at verse three. He says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which also I received. There he's talking about God gave us the Old Testament. We saw that. But now Paul is writing the New Testament. The things that God revealed to Paul, he's writing, and we have God's word here today. But he goes on and says, hey, maybe you don't believe the Bible. Look at verse 5. And that he, talking about Jesus is in his resurrection body, he was seen of Cephas, or Peter, then by the twelve. Jesus was physically seen. Do you remember where the disciples were when Jesus came 
to them. And these guys were hiding out. They said, if our leader is going to the cross, what are they going to do to us? They were hiding in a corner. You remember, they were in this upper room and saying, man, we got to stay away from uh, the government because they're going to do the same to us. But a few days later, they were boldly proclaiming that Jesus was alive. Why? Because they experienced him. It wasn't just something written in a book, but they were there. He was seen of Cephas, then by the 12. Look at verse 6. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. This is not something just one or two people kind of had a story and it just kind of went running wild. No, 500 people. If you look at the resurrection of Jesus, he was seen by many people. It wasn't just something that they were worked up into. It wasn't some lie, but there were over 500 people. And it says something about these 500 people. Of whom the greater part remain to the present. Paul is saying, I could go to those 500 people right now. Most of them are still alive. And it could say, did you see Jesus? I saw Jesus. Did you see Jesus? Yes, I saw Jesus. He said, there are many, they remain to the present. See, the Bible wasn't written much later, hundreds of years later after Jesus. It was written right after Jesus' resurrection. In a time where people were still alive that had seen Jesus come back to life. You know, if I wrote a story in a book, we can rewrite history. We can go back into the founding of our nation and try to rewrite history. Many people try to do that, right? We can kind of go back and maybe somebody's going to believe it because they weren't there. But when you have eyewitnesses, people that actually saw the resurrection of Jesus, these people remain to the present. The number of people and the timing of these people, they were there. Their lives were changed. These timid people went out and preached. And not only did they preach, they suffered. Not only did they suffer, many of them died because their message was that there's only one God and God sent his son to die for us, but he came back to life. They were thrown into prison, they were tortured, they were abused, and they never denied it because they had seen it with their own eyes. That's how important the resurrection is. You see, if the resurrection is not true, and you can read through the rest of 1 Corinthians 15, it tells you if the resurrection's not true, there's a lot of things we should do and a lot of things we want. I'm just gonna pull, pull out two. Look at verse 18. Then also those who have fallen asleep, it's just a nice way of saying people died, right? We use nice words now. The, the Bible's just using a nice word, fallen asleep. But it's talking about people that die. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Here's what Paul said. If there is no resurrection, if Jesus' resurrection isn't true, if people really don't come out of the grave, when your loved one has passed, that's all there is. Now, as a pastor, I do funerals, and I hear a lot of statements that really aren't very biblical. Now, oh, my loved one's in heaven. Now they're an angel with wings. There's no Bible verse that says that. You know, oh, they're looking down at us right now. I don't know if they're looking down or not. I can't prove that or not. Oh, they're my guardian angel. They're watching. All these kind of things that people say when our loved ones die. And I understand there's a lot of emotion. We're trying to get grip with that and trying to understand it. But Paul says this. If there is no resurrection, if Jesus didn't come back to life, 
when your loved one dies, that's all there is. This past Monday, my mom who had passed away 14 years ago, she would have turned 80, so my brother and sister, we got together and went to lunch. And we just talked about our mom. We were talking about excited being able to see our mom again one day. But if this Easter Sunday is just a farce, if it's just something we've made up in our own mind to make us feel good, Paul said, when your loved one dies, that's all there is. You'll never see him again. That's all there is to life. It doesn't give us a whole lot of hope. They are perished, he says. And he says one other thing in verse 32. There's a lot of other, I'm just pulling out two. One, when your loved one dies, that's all there is. When you die, that's all there is. There's no soul, there's no eternal life. If death is all there is, there's no resurrection, that's it. And the second thing he says in verse 32. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at deficit, what advantage is it to me? That's interesting. The Bible doesn't ignore personal benefit. Talks a lot about why making the right kind of choices can benefit me. And he says, if there is no resurrection, why am I doing all these things? Why would I preach the gospel? Why would I be willing to give up my life? He even says, I die daily. I risk myself on a daily basis. What advantage it for me if the dead rise not? For if the dead do not rise, here's what he said to do. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul makes an incredible statement right here. I really want you to pick up on this. If Christianity is not true, if what the Bible declares in the Old Testament and the New, that Jesus didn't come back to life, if this is just something we do to make us feel good in this life, just a crutch uh, for us to lean on to try to make sense of what we're doing or try to get some comfort of life, he says, why would you consider doing it? Why would you even consider trying to live a moral life? If this is all there is, you better eat and drink because tomorrow you're dead. That's all there is. If this is all there is, then you better make sure you're getting the very best. You better live for pleasure. You better live for profit. You better live for prestige. You better live for power because that's all that life is. You might as well just push everybody else down so you can get to the top. Eat and drink. Give in to your pleasures, your desires. There's no right and wrong. There's no judgment. There's just simply survival of the fittest. This is all there is. So what would make you happy? What is your truth? What is it that would make you feel better today? Live it up because this is all there is. But Paul didn't believe that. He didn't believe that this life was all there is. He said, no, life is pretty brief. James said it's just a little vapor because eternity is long and there is a right and wrong. And if we're not going to eat and drink, tomorrow we die because eternity is at stake. Jesus resurrected. He came to give us life, to give us purpose. He is Lord, and we need to share this message with others if we know it, and we need to believe this message if we've never accepted Jesus. It's the central message of the Bible. It is the most important message of the Bible, but I have one other thought. The gospel is good news, but the last thing I wanna say, the gospel is a difficult truth as well. Look with me at verse three. 
Remember he said this earlier, for I delivered to you first of all the most important thing, that which also I received, he had received revelation, so he's writing these things out of direct revelation. God had revealed himself when he was, was on the road and he was chasing Christians, now he became a convert of Christianity and he's believing it and God gave him special truth and he's writing this to the Corinthians there, these things that he received and he said this, that Christ died, can you say those next few words with me, for our sins. The gospel is good news, but I got to tell you, there's some bad news of the gospel too. The reason Jesus died is for our sins. He died for the idea that is a substitute. He took our place on the cross. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Your sin and my sin will lead us to separation from God forever and ever, but Jesus died to pay for our sins. You don't have to pay for your sins. You don't have to be separated from God. Jesus gave us a free pass to heaven. He paid everything that was needed. He died for our sins, in place of our sins. He is our substitute. You can live any way you want, but there is judgment. There is a penalty. There are consequences for our actions. And Paul says this gospel is very divisive. Earlier in this book, he says it's actually a very foolish message. People would see it as not very wise at all. Certainly you have to do something to get to heaven. Why would God come and pay for our sins? That seems so foolish. It seems so different than what religion teaches. We have to offer a sacrifice. We have to change our life. No, you have to trust in Jesus. He's the one that paid for our sins. Do not reject him. It's the only way to come back to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The bad news of the gospel is that it is a narrow road. It is difficult. It is divisive. Unless we accept him, the consequences are too great. So in verse one, Paul tells us two things that we should do. Verse one, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, he proclaimed it. He shared this message with them. Now this is what they need to do, two things. Which also you received. I received the gospel at a young age. I asked Jesus to be my savior when I was six. I followed in baptism, but as a teenager, I thought, man, do I really, did I understand it when I was young? I went home one night after a church service and I laid in bed and I just, simply said something like this. Jesus, I believe you died for me. And I know I've sinned against you. And I don't know if I got saved at six years old or not, but I know John 3.16, and I think I quoted John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that Jesus died for me, that whosoever believes in him, and I said, Jesus, I believe in you right now. I believe that message. I received Jesus as my Savior. I called upon his name, asking him to forgive my sins. It's a change of mind, believing in the death, burial, and resurrection. 
It's a personal decision, just like that Roman soldier that put Jesus on the cross and later said, truly, this must be the Son of God. Has there been that point in your life that you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Have you called upon his name, asking for the forgiveness of sins and that he would give you eternal life? I'm not saying did you pray a prayer and ask Jesus to come into your heart, just a simple uh, statement, but I'm saying was there a time in your life that you truly placed your faith? Because if so, look at the second part. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. Not only will you accept him by faith, but will you live out your faith? I remember years ago, I was talking to a young person and I said, do do you know Jesus as your savior? They were brought up in church and they looked at their mom and said, mom, am I saved? Now there's a little problem with that because if you don't know that you're saved or not, you're probably not saved. If you're having to ask your mom, there's an issue there. It's like, do you have a relationship with Jesus or not? Is there ongoing life change happening in your life? Wherein you stand. You see, you get saved by praying and asking Jesus to come into your life, but salvation isn't that prayer. That salvation is Jesus. And it's a relationship with our Savior, Jesus. He said, not only do you need to accept it, but you need to stand in this truth. Well, I used to believe, hey, a biblical faith is an ongoing faith. It's not just a prayer that you prayed at one point. Well, it's not that I've been baptized, not that I'm a member of a church, not that I grew up in church. Do I stand in this faith? He goes on in verse two, he says, by which also you're saved if you hold fast that which I preach to you. Now, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. But he's saying if there isn't an ongoing life of your relationship with Jesus, you need to question what's really going on in your heart. Do you stand in the faith? Do you hold fast your faith? Do you still have that faith, a faith that you once had? You know, we live in a society today where where people are deconverted. I used to believe that. I don't believe that anymore. Our nation is called a post-Christian nation. People used to be, right? I used to hold to those ideas. I don't believe that anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. And Paul said, you stand in it. You hold fast in it. You see the last part of that verse? Unless you have believed in vain. A false belief. James says the devils believe and tremble. It's not a simple belief in God. But that moment you place your faith in Jesus, which changes your life. Not I used to go to church. I used to read my Bible. I used to serve. I used to believe. I used to pray. And I understand that there are many temptations and trials in our life. I mean, it's not easy living the Christian life. We are so busy at work, people get so caught up in sports or school or their friends or it's our only day off, right? We have laundry, we have shopping, there's so many reasons you know, to get out of church, so many problems of life, so many dark days that we face. But let me just remind you that we live for Jesus because Jesus died for us. Where's your faith today? Has there been that moment in your life 
that you called upon Jesus just like I did as a teenager. You believed the gospel and you asked Christ to forgive your sins and to come into your heart, come into your life, change you from the inside out to transform you where we start living for him and we have a relationship with Christ. I think it's also important to get connected to a church when we live out our faith. Next week, I'm gonna start a new series called The Church, Loving What Jesus Loved. You know what Jesus said about the church, why the church is important? It's not just something we come to worship, though it's a time of worship. It is also needed in our life for a time of encouragement. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, and let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. How do I do it? How do we encourage one another? Well, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You know what God said? He said, I want you to connect. If you're online, be faithful to attend online. If you can come to a live service, come. Why? He goes on, as the manner of some is, but exhorting or encouraging one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other. We need this encouragement, this exhortation, these reminders of who Jesus is. And if Jesus died for us, we must live for him. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. The goal at Choice is simply this, to, to impact lives for God's glory. To bring God glory in all that we do and to minister to the people in our church and our community and all around this world. Friend, we've talked about the resurrection this morning. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel, the good news, the most important truth. In a moment, we're going to sing a song, and here's what I simply want to ask you. If you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, maybe you did it like me, and you're just uncertain that you have eternal life, you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, call upon his name today to pray just something like this. Again, it's not in a prayer. It's in Jesus and our faith in what he did for us. Dear Jesus, I believe you died for me and my sins. Please come into my life. Forgive me and take me to heaven when I die. May you be Lord of my life. Christian, if you know you've accepted Jesus, you know you're going to heaven, but you've been kind of wavering a little bit in your personal walk with him and your corporate life as a church, let me encourage you, just get back on track. Let him be your guide as you leave this building today. This is not the church. We are the church is assembled together. And maybe you need to pray something like this. Dear Jesus, forgive me. I've been so busy. I've been caught up in my own interest. Help me to live for you because you died for me. 
Father, may that be true of every one of us this morning. Change our hearts and use this time to make a difference in our lives, our families, our community, our church, this country, this world, all because of the resurrection. And we ask this in Jesus' name.